my name is Katrin Inga Jónsdóttir Hjördísadóttir. That's longer than most. Yes. Okay, there's an extra daughter, daughter. Yes, so Jónsdóttir is my father. Mm-hmm. His name is Jón. Obviously. <laughs> and my mother's name is Hjördís. Mm-hmm. So I'm Hjördísardóttir. So you have both your mother's name and your father's name. Yes, exactly. Is that normal? No, it is not normal. I thought not. That's uh-huh. why I was so surprised. Uh, yeah, but it is becoming um, more and more, you know, normal today. I think it is like maybe 15 years since I added my mom into my ownership. <laughs> yeah, and then... I was married also for some time as well, and I added his, you know, surname as well. It's a system, you know. For me, it's like a statement, like if one is supposed to own me, then, you know, why not give the ownership to everyone, you know, like. So it was my parents and my husband, you know, that had the claim on me. But I had this kind of complex, you know, sensation about my name for a long time, you know, since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I even was like brainstorming on, you know, making my own surname for quite a while. So I have, yeah, I have a thing. Yeah, I, yeah. But now I'm very happy. Well, I mean, it's an interesting thing because like the whole daughter-son stuff, mm-hmm. it, it it's a very regional thing. But like even my wife in the Czech Republic, mm-hmm. They have Ova at the end mm-hmm. of the names for women, mm-hmm. which translates in English to owned by or property of. Exactly. And I was, I told my wife, I was like, you are not doing that when we get <laughs> married because I do mm-hmm. not own you or you're not my property. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a fascinating sort of tradition. Mm-hmm. However, it's, it's slightly sexist. Totally. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, it is interesting, you know. So, for example, my my boys are referring to me as well. You know, I I really needed that, you know, to claim their ownership as well, you know, not just giving it all to their father. So your your sons have taken on your name. And their fathers. And their fathers. So, yeah, because I have this kind of, uh, I had the problem with uh, accepting that somebody, yeah, this ownership or this kind of idea of... Yeah, I, yeah, it was a, it was a part of me like creating myself, or yeah, or I, I mean, I thought I was always you know finding myself, but then of course you know you create yourself, but I didn't realize that until I was quite older. Like Dave Bowie says um, as well, you know, you create yourself. Mm-hmm. I wish I heard that a little bit earlier, you know, because I spent like very long time like finding myself you know when when you just should just create yourself it would make things so much easier i'm still finding myself it's fine oh but if you tell yourself that you're going to create yourself it gives you a little bit more freedom right it gives you a little bit more um ownership over yeah power towards it like because it it, like it, it sometimes it can feel quite powerless yeah and that's a difficult position Mm -hmm. to be in Mm -hmm. for anybody yeah 
if you create yourself, then responsibility is somehow in your hand. But if you're finding yourself, it's like never-ending story. You know, it's not like certain that you will go. But if you create yourself, then you, I don't know, it feels more comfortable or truth or... Well, I mean, it, it's an interesting dilemma because like as artists in mm -hmm. this day and age, mm -hmm. there's the nature of like social media branding and mm -hmm. these kinds of like mm -hmm. defining yourself and creating yourself. Exactly. Kind of thing. Now they have it right, you know. Well, that's the, that's <laughs> the question is like, is that the right way to go? Or is that like a mm. thing created by, you know, mega corporations? To, I understand. To, like, I don't know. I'm not sure. So we are losing the romantic... Uh, sensation i'm a romantic of <laughs> yeah i like the romantic stuff like i wish i was i wish i was an artist in like 1920s paris hanging out in the cafes just like talking rebellion and all kinds of crazy shit i understand that's my lifestyle okay. that i wish for i would not want to be there because you know as a dentist of woman it would have been very hard harder than it is today absolutely so yeah yeah. Oh, no. There, I mean, the gender nature of the arts historically is horrible. Yeah. I mean, gender, race, all the different yeah. kinds of things. I mean, even, you know, even gays, homosexuality, all these mm -hmm. kinds of things. Like, I mean, the amount of problems that have existed and to a mm -hmm. certain extent still exist in certain parts of the industry and certain parts of the world. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. And I can never sit here and be like, oh, I understand what you're going through. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I will never know what you're going through. Mm -hmm. I am a white, male, privileged American. <laughs> <laughs> like, I am everything wrong with the arts world. <laughs> yeah. Or or you have the power also to change it, you know. And I'm trying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> totally. Just by being aware of it and putting a light on it, that's already like stepping on, you know. I don't want to say right direction because what is right, but at least I feel more positive direction. I always hope to be going <laughs> in a positive direction. Yes. Yeah. But let's go back a little bit. So, uh -huh. like, so you, so how did you come to being creative in the first place? Were your parents yeah. creative? Like what was your sort of pathway uh -huh. into the arts? That's a very good question. The school system pretty much like destroyed me. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I am dyslexic. And then later on, I, I realized I'm also, I have a HDHD. It's very common. As for we all do. Creative, you know, people. I have been like building myself up ever since, you know, it's like, I didn't feel good, you know, in the school, in my teenage years, especially. So I even stopped like trying. It so, does that. Yeah, so I I never went to like high school. So when I was sixteen, when I finished my like when I finished the the school, you know, like elementary and sixteen um, is yeah, the sixteen end of that? Be, yeah, in so Iceland. Like, I graduated high school at seventeen. Yeah, exactly. And then you went to college. Yeah, so I never went to college. Okay. So it's a little bit different here in Iceland. But I graduated young. Most people yeah. in America would graduate high school at 18. Because yeah. of my birthday, I ended up, it's yeah. a long, stupid story, but yeah. Exactly. Most people would be 18. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You have this kind of um, high school and then college, mm -hmm. and then you go to university. 
College and university is kind of the same thing. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, the, from what I understand, the difference between college and university is actually the scale. So, like, mm -hmm. a college is small, a quantity of students. Mm -hmm. University is a large quantity of students, but it's the same education. Ah, uh, okay, I understand. Because, like, I went to, let's see, was my, my undergraduate was at a university. Yeah. But then I went to a college for my master's. Yeah. It's because of the quantity of uh, students. I understand. Okay, okay. That's an American thing, though. That's not a worldwide thing. So, like, I'm sure the system's different elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, in Iceland, we have this kind of school that you need to finish. Yeah, like a preparatory school yeah. kind of thing. And then we have this in between before you go to university, before you go to bachelor and then master. I wish we had something like that. So, it's like a four years that, you know, people go from 16 to 20 normally. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, to prepare for the uh, bachelor. Holy shit. All right. Good. Great. So I never attended that part because I was never going to school again. But then around 23, I got accepted in the University of Art. Mm -hmm. So I started my bachelor then. But then I've been like experimenting myself with various art forms. When I was 16, I was going to be an artistic photographer. So I started making photography and then I went into like uh, filmmaking. I was doing a lot of like uh, short films, you know, with a group of friends because I got in love with Italian boy artists uh, here in Iceland <laughs> when I was like 16, 17 and mm. I moved with him to Milan and I was there for three years and then, then we broke up and then I moved to London. And I was there for three years as well, doing various art. Like I did a lot of like, I was like on the unemployed benefit in London. And then I could take like free courses in London Colors of Printing, like intense like summer courses or weekend courses or evening courses. And I took like screen printing, production, uh, sound, various sound software and screenwriting. Yeah, various like short courses. Wait a second. Hold on, wait. <laughs> you you're an Icelandic citizen that went to the UK, London. Yeah. And you got unemployment benefits? Yeah, because and you were able to take free classes. Yeah, because Iceland has this kind of um we are in the UA, so that was before, you know, Brexit. You know, we are talking about like two thousand, two thousand one, two and three. I started in Icelandic Academia, uh, the University of Art in Iceland in 2005 and then I was 23 and then I had already been like traveling. I also stayed for some shorter time in Copenhagen. So I was like, I was just finding myself, obviously. Like, a vagabond lifestyle <laughs> Yeah, I was like, that there. was that was the time period where I was like finding myself and finding my, you know, creative voice. When I was like 13, 14, 15, having a very hard time in my school. I thought I was just stupid, you know. I, I couldn't learn things because with HCSD, you need to understand things. You need to talk about things in a philosophy terms. You know, it's a different way of learning. And what they were teaching in, in the elementary school was not the way for me to learn. And I didn't, you know, get help that I needed, at least not enough to 
help me from not believing that I was just uh, stupid. Unfortunately, that is the academic system. They, they they want to put you into some sort of pigeonholed thing of like the you know good at this, bad at that, good mm-hmm. with this, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they, they, unfortunately, oftentimes it sticks with you. Mm-hmm. Like if one teacher or one administrator like puts you on a troubled student list, suddenly mm-hmm. you are that for the rest of your academic career. Mm-hmm. I I was on that list. So like, I'm just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Because well, my brother, I have an older brother. Yeah. We went to the same schools growing up. Uh-huh. He was even worse of a troublemaker. Okay. And so when I came in, they already labeled me as a troublemaker oh my God. because of my brother. Oh, and he was dyslexic. <laughs> yeah, and and I I mean back then you know, I got tested for dyslexic you know, when I went into university. Because then I also was more, um, it was more like, um, in the air you know people were talking about this more, so I thought like oh this sounds very much like you know, my experience. Um, my but, reality. Yeah. So I was actually not qualified to go into the University of Art because I didn't have the formal studies, you know. Right. But I could get in with my portfolio because I've been doing a lot of stuff. And then I was also taking some courses in London Colors of Printing. That is uh, college, you know, uh, university. Credit, yeah. yeah. So I managed to get in there just for outstanding, you know, creativity um, and that was very good and then when I came into the school and I learned uh, for the first time like I mean I was sitting in a class and we did we had a lot of like uh, philosophy and art history because um, it is a BA so it's like 60 practical versus 40 you know lit uh, academic well it's also British and they're very much like that (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, the Icelandic uh, university. Oh, okay. oh yeah, it's okay. a BA, uh, BFA. Sorry, it's BFA. BA is Bachelor of the Arts. BFA yeah. is Bachelor of Fine Arts. Exactly. BFA is generally perceived as a higher degree. Yeah. BA is, BA is a bit more of a general. Because oftentimes yeah. a BFA is a BFA in photography or a BFA in sculpture, uh-huh. whereas a BA... It's just a BA. Okay. So this uh, BFA Great. thing, yeah. Uh, because I took MA in New York and that was much more practical, you know, like. Well, but I think that a lot of that is the difference between cultures. Uh-huh. Because like I've had discussions where people in America are more, I'm trying to think about which, what, which way it goes. Like one, one of the, the, them is more about critiques. I think it's America is more about critiques mm-hmm. and sort of the, you know, criti- you know, critical feedback in the classroom. Whereas um, Europe is a, bit, a bit, lot more conceptual and theoretical mm-hmm. versus critique sessions and, and feedback and that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. they're just different cultural ways of teaching basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure which is better or worse. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, they're not mm-hmm. the same, basically. Yeah. Did you have the, the similar sort of experiences of the differences between Icelandic art school and an American art school? A school of visual artists often refer to as a kind of um, the father of our uh, department here in fine art. 
because it's small and it's very, uh, you know, multimedia, you know, orientated, and everyone kind of, yeah, has the freedom to to create their own, you know, like, yeah, stuff is yet, yeah. Which is a question I had about yeah. you and your work as well. Mm-hmm. I come from, a, my master's degree was in new genre art, which is basically interdisciplinary multimedia, whatever mm-hmm. you kind of think you want to call it. But your work, from what I saw, mm-hmm. also, like, keep in mind, I did a little research ahead okay. of time. But I try not to do too much because I don't want to come in too informed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you you seem to you work in lots of different mediums and stuff mm-hmm. and, and, and sort of based on whatever the idea you're trying to express, mm-hmm. which is great. I'm all for it. True. But the, my question is, is, has that been to your benefit or mm-hmm. slightly to your detriment in some ways? Mm-hmm. Because I would imagine it's difficult because, like, Mm-hmm. When you're applying for a grant or a residency or any sort of funding or project things, like you don't, you can't tick a box that says exactly. I'm a photographer or a painter or some sort of medium-based thing. Yeah, and now I'm also understanding it's also hard to collect my shit because it's hard to categorize it into one uh, shelf. Right. So uh, it, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm positive, but I believe you know, it will maybe hopefully benefit me in the long term. And also, I'm just following my heart, so I'm I'm always true to what I feel I need to want to do. So um, I'm not forcing myself into um, into this chaotic, you know, way of creating. It comes very natural. Maybe this is also part of being HSD, you know. It's like, a, but yeah, what I realize also when I came into the um, academy in the end, I, I back into school system, I realized like first how much I love it. You know, I became a fan of like theory classes, for example. I took uh, more extra, you know, courses than needed. I was scoring high grades, even with my, you know, like essays and stuff, you know, I was doing very good. You know, I always needed to ask my people around me that were capable of it to read through my text, you know, because I did not have that much experience and then I had ACT, so I needed always someone to read through my text. But so when I handed in, I always, uh, I, I got a good, but I had to make an effort to make it good, to get my thoughts out of my brain in a proper way. But it's like one of my first ideas when I was 16, it, it was a conceptual idea, multimedia thing. It was uh, called the brain machine. And it was literally just about the idea of connecting your brain through the machine and the machine will read your thoughts exactly how it comes. And the point of that was like, it was very chaotic. Like, I want ice cream. Oh, this bird is very nice. Oh, I really need to change my, you know, just like literally how we, you know, think. So I made screenplay about it mm-hmm. and it was like a dialogue with an artist and a kid you know and the kid was asking a very simple question but very important question so it has been very much like hunting me you know you want to create something and you want to express it interpret it for the viewer or the reader it's a challenging thing. And then, you know, with a lack of confidence because, you know, the system had kind of break you down. So you're also in this kind of a dilemma, you know. 
Well, but that's the eternal challenge of do it being any sort of creative person. So whether you're a writer, musician, whatever, like you have an idea in your head and you're like, I want to like express this and then trying to find not only a balance where it meets your own need kind of thing. So whatever, you know, expression you want to do, but also that the a balancing act so that the viewer comprehends it. Because like I've had, I've come up with you know dozens and dozens of ideas that like when I showed them to somebody I'm like it's about this and they're like yeah I don't see it at all <laughs> they just, exactly no. they see something else yeah but but that is also often what makes you know people afraid of this kind of contemporary art because it is always new it's something it's even new for you you haven't seen it you haven't put any if you're doing something good, new. And you don't have a word to describe it. I often, you know, because I did a lot of reading when I had my kids, you know, I was studying like how the cognitive revolution of the brain works, you know, and how the upbringing can affect you both, like also understanding myself, you know, and trying to make it uh, better for them, you know, because I didn't want them to be ending up like 20 years old with a very lack of self-confident uh, or, you know, just just the idea of thinking you are stupid is just uh, very uncomfortable and unnecessary. And you spend your time in too much, you know, towards something that is just like stopping you to move forward, you know. So it would be very nice to not have that. So what I learned from that uh, research is that, uh, for example, and I often use it in explaining, you know, contemporary art, because for the first three years of a child, you know, uh, we don't have any, you know, words to describe our senses, you know, what we are sensing. But we see, we smell, we eat, we touch, you know, but then later there comes the word. And I often refer it to contemporary art, that you always need this kind of three years to crystallize what you're seeing with words, you know. Uh, so when I, when I could like speculate that idea, I, was, I became more um, understanding or, or more like easy on me. You know, like, okay, it's okay, Katrin, you, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Just follow your guts, you know, it is something that you just, because it's often, it's just like you need to do something and you can't justify it. Well, and I, I, I agree with what you're saying, but there's a balancing act that I find on that because like, in the end, and this is going to sound horrible and obviously very American perspective on this, but like, you still need to make a living. Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, whether it means taking another job or whether it means trying to find grants or whatever it is, like you, you can only push so far and you can only work for so long sort of testing, trying, though, whatever, before you have to, you have to create a, a finished result of some yeah. sort or else people are going to think you're not actually making anything kind of stuff. Like, so there's these weird 
benchmarks that are sort of necessary in the arts industry where like you have to be exhibiting or getting a grant or going to a residency or whatever that says you have completed something or you have you know, met a, a, a stepping stone. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally agree. I mean, I complete things and I exhibit it yeah. and I can express myself with the words that I have, but don't put too much pressure on me. I allow, allow myself to think like I can change, you know, perspective on it later. Or, you know, it is not the end of the world. I can add some words on the way. So you'll change. Like, so like if you make, let's say you, you exhibit a piece or, or a performance or whatever it is. And let's say you have a statement that's on the wall with yeah. it kind of thing. You're saying that like three, five years later, you will change that statement? Yes, especially with the work I was doing in 2019 or 2017, 1918 or something. I was obsessed about virus <laughs> and self-love. Yeah, like self-love virus. I was like, and that is also like self-love because I'm, I've been like healing myself and sharing it with the viewers. I've done also various like uh, self-healing, you know, performances, you know. And around this time, I was very up. You know, I was like, yeah, cellulose virus. So I did this kind of cellulose virus, you know, monument sculpture. So I was thinking about like in the future, this is where the one mankind will, you know, remember when the mankind got self-love virus or injected, you know, I was like thinking like, what will happen if we would just like all get self-love virus like injected in our body? And then COVID came. I was going to say, kind of didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> And COVID came and, you know, and that piece totally kind of have changed because the society changed. So you can, you, now when you, when I talk about virus, people uh, listen in a totally different way and before, because people have totally different kind of experience and understanding and it's more close to them. So thinking about virus before COVID, it was so distant. But now it is so present, so people can more relate to the idea of what if, you know. Because I did also like um, a BA in art theory and history after oh. my okay. art practice. And then I went to a master in fine art because I, I, I became very um, interested in theory. And I'm planning to do a doctor degree, but I, I don't know, you know, talking about like living and stuff like that i mean it all cost you know i own like a lot of millions Icelandic kroners you know in a student loan i sort of assumed that education was free sort of socialized like you all actually have to pay for your yeah. education yeah i mean the, the fine art um is one of the most expensive you know um, oh i know i'm still paying my student loan yeah, off yeah, yeah. I, I get it and, but... in iceland too really yeah, yeah, yeah. For some odd reason, my crazy romantic idea was that you all had like free education. No, it, maybe Denmark or something. Oh yeah, not absolutely Denmark. Yeah, <laughs> but I can not in Iceland. Uh, you pay for everything here with your student loans. But and then I did my master in America, and that was very expensive, even though I got Fulbright and yeah, some but other. Yeah, just living sculpture. in New York. I mean, shit. That's yeah, that's yeah. expensive. So, yeah, part of the student loan I'm still paying off is like the rent I paid living in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were living in Brooklyn and um, yeah, it costed a lot. It's not very practical, you know, studying art, but you... Nope. <laughs> but 
but you just, I can't do anything else, you know. Agreed. I I'm am the just, same way. It's like, it's like, a, you know, it's like a curse or something, you know, it's like, you know, you, you, you can't See, I, do anything. I'd like to phrase it more as a gift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a gift, yeah. It's, yeah it's curse gift. sounds negative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a me gift. I mean, yeah. It, yeah, I, I'm constantly, like, my wife is an accountant, so she's, like, very factual, nine to five, like, and I'm just like, I need to go make something. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what I need to make, but I need to be making stuff. And if I'm not, I'm very depressed. But maybe it's a curse in one part of understand, you know, uh, categorizing it, and then gift maybe a little bit like your um, statement, you know. Well, we're, we're a curse on society. <laughs> so we are a fool, and we are also, um, yeah, uh, wise. Yes. Yeah, wise. Yes, you know? that's the name. That, yeah. That's why I chose it. <laughs> yeah. So it is pretty much that. I mean, it is very much what it crystallizes everything you know well i mean this lifestyle is both the most beautiful and enjoyable lifestyle and also one of the most difficult and yeah. and sort of foreign to most people so like yeah. i love it and am sort of depressed by it yeah. depending on the day yeah. and the experience yeah. you know too many times i'll go out and i'll be like talking with people blah 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 and they're like what do you do and i'm like oh i'm an artist and they're like mm. oh like conversation ends <laughs> or, but at other times i'll be out and i'll be like oh i'm an artist and people are like really what do you make like and they actually want to so like it, it it can be both a curse or a blessing depending on the perspective yeah exactly and also the art itself you know it can be wise and foolish you know in the same time oh absolutely I mean, going back to what you were talking about, about like sort of what I call like time and distance, mm -hmm. like almost every project I do, I'll like, I'll make a project, I'll work on it three, five years, whatever. And at the end of it, of course, we're obligated to write some sort of statement about it. Like say like, I'm done with this. Here's an exhibition. Here's a statement. But then I feel like, like after about five years later, mm -hmm. I then have time, distance, and and wisdom to and hindsight to look back and go, oh no, that project was not about that at all. It was actually about this other thing that was going on that I just didn't have enough perspective on yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All the time, all of my artwork, like mm -hmm. it, you know, in hindsight, I understand it mm -hmm. much better because of like life experiences that were going on that you were sort of still involved in so you didn't have enough perspective on it but boy some time really can give you a much better insight on your own artworks for sure and i mean it is also like a lifetime like research you know an experiment inventing you know we are inventing something and we're also creating a new language you know i mean and you know i have my own language you know my own dictionary so it always takes a little time to see uh the threat you know like um you know where it's going to what this is leading to but you need to kind of keep reminding yourself to be kind of uh, patient and gentle uh, I am to the yourself. least gentle person on myself. I am the hardest critic I have ever been. Yeah. Yeah, that is that can tear you apart, you know what I mean? Yes. I'm trying to learn to... <laughs> Literally, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> I always tell myself, or I'm trying always to remind myself, it's like I have a mantra, 
always when I'm working towards a performance or exhibition or something where I need to, you know, show my shit, you know, and stand by it. I always have my heart, you know, like bumping very fast. And I'm always like, it's okay. It is only art. It's not the end of the world. You know, just like, you know, it's just like keep telling myself that, you know, just do, just do not kill myself. I mean, you know, uh, not literally, but I often find myself like, you know, be, being somehow a masochist. You know? <laughs> I do know. Yes, yes. We are, we are all that to ourselves. Like, I can't tell. I've, I've had exhibitions where I'll, like, I'll put it up and I'll be like, this is the turning point for my career. Like, this is the thing that's going to get me to that next step, that next level in my career. Mm-hmm. And then nothing happens. Exactly. <laughs> and it's just like, oh. Yeah. And fuck. then you need to have a little bit of like being this kind of. Uh, the risk taker or like the person who is drawn to adrenaline, you know, like um, adrenaline junkie. Yes. Something, you know, I think a lot of creative people are like that because I like, for example, now I literally have maybe just thousand kroners, you know, like I just bought food for my boys and have nothing. It's first of the month tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I know I get my, I have an Icelandic art salary now for, Congratulations. Thank you so much. Um, So, uh, but I didn't have it like for the last three or four years. So it's been very uh, hard, you know, like social benefit, unemployment benefit, you know, you're done with that. You know, you can't get more of that than a social benefit. And then always like working towards getting grants and then always like manifesting secreting someone coming and, and want to buy all your stuff, you know, like uh, I, I have read about this kind of deep collectors, you know, they are there, like people who collect like deep from artists, like coming up and coming, like buying a lot, like keeping them alive, you know, until the markets kicks in. Patrons. Yeah, I'm looking for that. We are all <laughs> looking for patrons. <laughs> and then uh, but, and I, I'm also like, I also buy lotto, you know, lotterly. Lotto. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You do lottery, huh? Yeah, like Viking, you know, Viking lotto. You know, I mean, some people have won like 400 Icelandic millions, you know. I don't know what that translates to, but just because it has the word million, it sounds like a lot. Yeah. I could buy this building, you know. Okay, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it's a difficult thing, like that whole nature of like... <sighs> One, you, you, we always want to sell our work, but like to, to an certain extent, like your work is very, I would imagine difficult to quote unquote, like sell or quantify or mm-hmm. commodify in some way, because like you work in performance, but like, but you have the ability to like document it. So then the documentation can, can become a thing of it on itself, but still like I admire Europe and European sort of mentality because I love the nature that like you all basically you come up with great ideas Mm -hmm. and then you get funded to produce it Mm -hmm. so like your artist salary even Mm -hmm. like so like they they've said we appreciate and respect what you do Mm -hmm. 
So we'll give you a salary so that you can continue doing what you do. In America, we don't have shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you, New York used to have it back in the 1920s. That's why. <laughs> back in the 1920s. Your year. Your, you know, romantic know, year. romantic year. That's why New York became what it is. Because they had this kind of city, creative city, you know, salary. Yeah, because I, I studied there so I could a little bit understand it, you know, like many of my classmates you know or, you know they were like american um, art student you know um i f- i found it very different coming from iceland because we don't have this market i mean there is so few people that collect art in, in, iceland. in iceland so right. so i i went into my bachelor you know studies not i mean i did a lot of performances you know like relating to you know uh selling art like once i took because i do like sculptures and uh, prints and all, all stuff so like one performance i did i went to a company uh like stock market pu- company in iceland back in 2009 just after the economic crisis you know i, I took like 32 prints that i made like lithography but there was a mono because I made some drawing on it as well. So nothing was the same, but it's from the same area. And I took it into this um, company. It's called Öder Capital. I took it and I just asked the, um, the staff on a desk if I could spontaneously, you know, like give a little performance, you know, just 10, 15 minutes. And they were so open and keen. So they gathered all the stuff into the conference room. And I had this kind of uh, performance speak where I was like literally selling me, selling myself as an uh, interesting uh, phenomenon to invest in, you know. So I said like, I have here 32 uh, mono prints for sale and each one cost 500 krona. That's literally just like, you know, like That's $4. That's like a hot dog. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, you can, you can hardly buy a, latte for it you know and then I was on my way to the master in New York sooner so I knew I was going there so it's like okay I finished my bachelor and and I'm going to master and I uh, I just finished exhibiting in some gallery that there I was in installing so but I just really wanted to do this performance ever since I was in school in 2007 but I didn't have the you know courage you know the gut to do it until that moment I don't know I was just taking it down. I was driving from the gallery with my stuff and I just decided just to drive to this company, park it and just try it. And they bought the whole thing, (laughs) you know, like stuff. And the company bought also, I don't know, six or seven or something. So I was doing a lot of this kind of performances related to that. Like you can invest in this and if you invest in it, just by investing in it, you're increasing the value of it straight away. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? That is how it works. So the power in the investor is so much, you know. It's not like you're investing in some company and then, you know, you don't know, you know, if it will work or not. You know what I mean? But if you invest in the artist and you keep investing in it, you can make it happen. Well, I mean, there's also the interesting nature of like, if you, if somebody were like, so you said you took 32 prints there. If all 32 prints were sold, mm-hmm. every single one of them has now 
gone up in value. Oh yeah, because there's no more on the market. Yes, and so just and I'm just still by working. that nature. Yeah, and but just by the nature of the fact that basically you sold out at the addition. Exactly. They have already gone increased in price and exactly. value. Like, I mean, it, the the whole system of the arts world is so like. I wish I understood this stuff at a younger age. Like, <laughs> I get it now because like. I'm a photographer is my background. And so like, we were always like, oh, make big additions so that you can have lots to sell and all this kind of stuff. And then like now with the insight and knowledge I have now, I'd be like, I wish I could go back and be like, no, 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 no. You make three. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Because limited, the, like the less available, the higher the value and the more you quote unquote like sell out. So like finish the run of whatever you produce and there are no more available, the more valuable you are and any next thing you make is. And I'm like, holy fuck, it makes so much more sense now. And then it's very important for you to make a two artist proof of because course. the gallery cannot take it when you're old and. Well, and keep one for yourself, you know, so you can sell it. It's your pension. Well, yes, or you can you know, oh, keep, I, it, for, I see it, keep it for your museum that you're going to donate to. For, I see it you know, as a pension. I see it as a legacy. <laughs> <laughs> it will be the thing that will be part of a, a collection that I will then donate so that, that like uh, after my death, I will be able to be researched. Yeah. And so therefore I will be able to be part of the future art canon. This is my arrogance that I really think that I'm this important. <laughs> <laughs> that is also what keeps you going. You kind of have to be you need a little to, bit. You need to have this. Yeah. I mean, there's a line to like confidence to arrogance. <laughs> you know, like I'm confident that over the course of my lifetime, I have done something that will impact mm -hmm. the art world. Mm -hmm. Maybe I've done it already. Maybe I still am going to do it. But I'm confident in that. Now. I mean... It's like one performance I did in 2017. Um, it was an old idea where I did proposal to the um, art center to represent Iceland in Venice Biennial, you know. But I wasn't selected, but I still wanted to do this idea. So I, I, I got a little grant and I did it. And it was about like, um, it was based on my master thesis project, you know, Art We Learn. But I, I invited uh, Icelandic fishermen that really don't understand contemporary art and really hates it. And just like, why is my tax money going into this yet, you know? And inviting him over for four days course in understanding contemporary art. So we walked through the biennial, you know, and we had this talk. So I, I, I filmed it. Uh, so it's like a, you know, like an artist documentation, documentary, you know. I still haven't exhibited it, you know, but it is there. So the idea was just like try to flip him, to make him understand that, you know, because what you're saying is like, I believe that even though you never go to museum or, con or you never see contemporary art, it still infects your everyday life because it infects the society, it affects, you know, the whole thing. And it's very important for, you know, a cognitive revolution of the humankind and uh, everything, you know, just to understand ourselves as some humankind and also train ourselves, you know, it's like, it's not just about like the Greek philosophers, you know, they knew it. They were like training the soul 
and the body in the same time are supposed to be part of our healthcare system because you need to train your body and your brain too because as much as you see things new you develop new brain cells and it makes you happy and it makes you think and it is part of healthy lifestyle so it's very important agree and uh, so i i i brought this uh, fisherman to venice and uh, it is a lot of vanity in it because of course you know he said yes to a, a free trip to venice and the project paid for his trip and sleeping arrangement you know but he had to just pay his food himself you know sure. i didn't have money for that uh, <laughs> we had long days and we talked a lot and in the end of the days he was always so tired but it was so beautiful talk especially like i remember one and it was his favorite thing we saw we saw um the show by damien hearse you know he was exhibiting this kind of uh epic uh sculpture the like, underwater stuff exactly yeah yeah and it was very you know people were a lot talk about it you know because of um the complexity of you know he said it was been laying on the bottom blah 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 and people were furious about it, you know. And I was explaining this to the fisherman, and he was just like, nah, this is nothing compared to what we do every day, you know. So his information, and he totally understood that, and he came with a very good, you know, argue in, into it, you know. And that could totally make us understand, and, and Damien Hurst totally made the point there. From that point of view. I love that Damien exactly. Hirsch series. I think it was a really, because it was, it was like a complete immersion. Like he, he made a convincing story mm -hmm. from the beginning to the end of like this entire civilization that had been lost and all yeah. that. Like, like the, the, the devotion to the story, like. I admire that. Any exactly. artist that, that puts that much sort of thought, planning, and, and like background and everything, like I I love those sort of immersive experiences like that, even if it's complete bullshit. Exactly. And we learned a lot about it. You know, we learned a lot mm -hmm. from this, you know, phenomenon, from this action. And then in the end of the day, I decided to pay for water taxi for the last scene because I thought it was like monumental, you know, like me and him sitting together. And then he came to the harbor. We were waiting. And then I saw he was in a teaser, new teaser. He bought, you know, in the end of the uh, day, the day before, after I said goodbye. And he came and he's like, yeah, see my, you know, T-shirt, you know. He bought a T-shirt with the, this famous drawing from uh, Da Vinci, you know, the man, you know. The, uh, the Truvian man. Exactly. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, this is very cool. And then I, then I, uh, you know, straight away thought about like speculating, you know, him. So I said to him, you know, like, okay, you know, for example, you see, we were talking like like about they were summarizing everything, and I said like yeah, for example, uh, Leonardo uh, da Vinci, you know, he was working on Mona Lisa, and and nobody knew about that while he was working on it, and it didn't became this kind of phenomenal piece until much later. I mean, imagine you being my Mona Lisa, you know, and I'm da Vinci, you know, nobody, you know, we are doing this now, but we can't see the value of it now, and he totally understood it. I know. It's such a sad state of affairs, though, that like 
so many creative people. So I'm not even going to say just visual artists, but like writers, musicians, all kinds of different people. But like they only suddenly become admired, respected, whatever after their death. And not even like necessarily like right after their death, but maybe even like a decade or a century later, they're like found out and suddenly they're like, you know, I mean, like Van Gogh, like, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, in his lifetime, nobody gave a shit. Yeah. You know, and but, his brother was the only one who bought all his stuff yeah, just to keep him alive. Yeah. And it's just like, it's such a sad state of affairs that like that artists are only appreciated in hindsight. Well, I shouldn't say only. There are many that are appreciated in their lifetime, but too many. Mm -hmm. It takes too long to find appreciation for yeah. them. That is because I think it's like when it comes to contemporary art, you know, we are like, you know, we are within this three years old, uh, you know, uh, eights of our, you know, understanding. So the whole society and ourselves, you know, we always need time to value things, you know. I do know. Yeah. Cause like my, my family, uh, my parents are getting old and, and there are things and, and objects in their house that like I, I went in my youth, I didn't appreciate and I didn't respect enough. And like, now I'm like, Oh, that thing, like, boy, well, you know, like I don't want to lose that. You know, I don't, I don't want that to be mm -hmm. whatever lost in the, in the future kind of thing. Like it, it's very interesting how time and perspective and, 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 hindsight can change the value of something exactly and that's why also like we need to like also be able to rewrite the history from you know like just with the me too you know we are getting so many different kind of way of you know understanding or categorizing things so we need we need to be able to look back and revalue and rewrite our history you know absolutely um, and I, I find it also very much like being, you know, mother for the first time, but I'm also like doing my parenting, you know, based on how I was parenting and I'm trying to do, you know, better, you know, but still I make a different, you know, mistakes, you know. The story of life, yes. Now you're more like aware of, the importance of saying like, you know, sorry, I made a mistake. I'm not perfect. All this kind of new way of living in the nowness, you know. Oh, yeah. In, in my youth, you know, parents were perceived as perfect. Yeah. <laughs> they, that, that, I mean, that was just That's societally accepted. Like parents are perfect. <laughs> and how and what? does that do to us you know yeah, it makes us always feel imperfect <laughs> exactly like, i mean i could not do right for many decades yeah and then you're always like speculating that those on contemporary art accepting that being perfect but once the society understand that you know contemporary art is not perfect you know and they're more like i don't know more humble towards it i think then they're also more humble to themselves because for example if you're very criticized to yourself you're very criticized to others oh yes i criticize others all the exactly. time exactly <laughs> and 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 that that is something to work on <laughs> starting on yourself yes i know my <laughs> wife tells me that all the time <laughs> and it's like uh because then you can't see the value of things because 
you have this kind of uh, sick love relationship towards how things should be perfect. You know what I mean? Well, perfection, I feel like, is an unattainable word, but in any facet of your life, you know, so like perfect relationship, perfect house, perfect car, <laughs> whatever, like totally unattainable. Every because, day. Well, because as soon as you gain that whatever, quote unquote, perfect thing, one thing, one part of it is, of course, it's always in flux, so it's never going to stay perfect. But also, once you attain it, then you're going to be like, well... But now the next thing is more perfect. Like so, like <laughs> you get a good, let's say you get a good car, like your your perfect car, the car you've always desired in your life. As soon as you have that, now you're gonna suddenly covet or envy some better car, like I think, or house or job or anything. So like, the, I, I'm not a huge fan of the term perfection because I, I've, it's not only unattainable, but it's too much in flux. Because like I've had perfect jobs that were perfect like i loved it it was mm -hmm. a great job at like the yeah. the I, I couldn't have been happier mm -hmm. but then somebody fucked it up <laughs> yeah somebody else well in this in the case of this particular <laughs> one it was basically like my dean left and i got another dean and that dean was not as good so like that job at that time for a certain amount of time again so like everything's in flux so like yeah, yeah, as soon yeah. as one thing one little grain of sand changed in that system mm -hmm. the whole thing changed and it was never quite the same yeah or you were never the same my perspective had changed because I I had had the perfection and so therefore <laughs> nothing else was going to be able to meet that criteria. So like, yeah, it, it is also my fault yeah. as well. But also like uh, when you're creating something, like I feel this kind of perfect, you know, oh, this is perfect, you know, but that is more like a sensation. It's like a instinct, you know, it's like you accept it like this. This is enough. But that is also like something you want to tell yourself as well I'll all you, the time i'm so bad at that <laughs> like, like i'm enough i am horrible at that because when i i have this habit when i'm working where i'll be working and i'm like this is exactly how i want to express it mm -hmm. and then i'll leave it alone for like a month mm -hmm. and i'll come back to it and i'll be like Oh yeah, that's totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I changed my mind. Yeah, I mean it, it's because like it was it was just what I wanted at, at that moment. moment, but a month later, no, not at all, not at the least. Or I do the other part, which is I work on something and I'm like, it's not there yet. I keep working on it. It's not there yet. I keep working on it. Fuck, I went too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I lost it. Yes. <laughs> all the time. This I always I I have this very difficult balance when I'm creating where like. I either underwork something because I think like, okay, it's great. I don't want to push it too far mm -hmm. or I might ruin it or it's already ruined and I'm going to try and save it. And then I just fuck it up even more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And what do you do then? Do you leave it like that or do you start all over? It depends. It depends. Yeah, yeah, it really depends. It depends mm -hmm. on the, like the medium, whether it can be undone and reworked or not it's because some mediums like you can't mm -hmm. scrape off and start sort of start again but yeah. some mediums you some mediums like i there are many things that i've worked with that are like i'll be working on it and i'm like that is ruined it is horrible and then i'll put it on the shelf and i'll come back to it like six months later and i'll be like oh no i can just do this other thing to it and that'll totally save it and it does yeah yeah, yeah. you know so it's like again it's just like it's all about sort of timing and perspective like you know yeah. it's like because like if i if i'm almost it's almost like if i'm too invested at the moment of creation mm -hmm. 
I can't, I'm not, I don't have, again, sort of, I, I think like hindsight and distance is like our theme for our conversation here. But like, I don't have enough distance from it to be able to say, all it needs is this little thing here. Yeah. Because I'm so subjectively invested in it in the moment of creation. Yeah. That I, for me and my artistic practice, I need time and distance to be able to reflect on these things. I understand. Do you understand also this um, way of I can like, tell you, no, I don't understand. Uh, what, is it? what about like, I, for example, like, I'm very like fun of or into mistakes because you have this kind of uh, idea of the uh, production, you know, like the, um, the step by step or you have idea of the outcome, but on the way things often, you know, develop in a different way and then something comes up like surprise often you can also categorize it as a mistakes you know and i'm a little bit like a, a groupie of these mistakes like when it comes i i'm always like i celebrate it because i believe that is sometimes where the art or the creative process takes over and art creates itself all for it yeah i so. love these kinds of things <laughs> like there's it's it's one of those things like there's a sort of phrase i'm trying to remember what it is it's basically like certain you know, like basically this is i tell my wife this all the time but like basically i like a certain amount of consistency preparation and planning mm -hmm. in order to allow for absurdity yeah <laughs> and and so like that's my thing so like i will test a material and try it out and figure out and i get everything that happens but then suddenly something will happen that i could never have planned for or thought or tested and suddenly i'm like oh yeah no that's so much better than anything i could have thought of exactly this happens a lot in a performance <laughs> it happens a lot in everybody's artistic practice except just like then i have a viewer you know like viewing this like um situation but part of it also is the choice to embrace it yeah exactly because a lot of people when they make the, these mistakes will be like fuck it's ruined and they they'll never yeah allow that to happen kind of thing mm -hmm. but i'm a huge advocate of sort of find not only finding a way to embrace it but then even to be like okay but how can i now use this to my advantage to like to, to, to utilize it instead of negate it yeah exactly it's like I often feel like, you know, when you're creating something, you go into, it's a little bit like a addicted thing, you know, because you, you go into this kind of a I'm sorry, a trance. What, what was the word you just said? Addictic? And no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you become addicted to it. Addi addicted. Uh, okay, I got it. An addiction. I, addiction, I was, yeah. I, I was hearing like, yeah, 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 yeah. side by side like dip dip uh -huh. like trip dick like i'm like yeah right dip, dip. you're not thinking about that <laughs> no i'm joking i'm joking i'm joking come on yeah i know you totally were thinking about that i i was just fooling around um no don't get me wrong i usually everything's a sexual innuendo to me i totally get it but <laughs> it's fine but you're addicted to it i got it yeah with this kind of um you go into this trance you know yeah, like this hyper-focus, trance, a little bit like you are being controlled by some higher, you know. Well, okay, but that thing you're talking about, 
I, I, I know what you're talking about. I've experienced it. I think almost all of us have experienced it. But the, the, the thing about that that's hard to attain mm -hmm. is because you need to n allow to, like, to not be influenced by the outside world. Mm -hmm. So you're not stressed over whatever real life is important. And you have the time and the space to mm -hmm. devote. Because like, I find it very hard to find more than a couple hours to sit in the studio because I've got other obligations to accomplish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like being able to find that time and then even for all practical purposes, a space, because not everybody has a designated studio or anything mm -hmm. like this, but the, the ability to find that time and space, I think is like one of the most important things. The other one I think is most important is, is find a community, but that's a different topic. Time and space, I think it was also like Virginia Woolf, you know, she talks about in a book, uh, the, the room that her husband, you know, like gave her, you know, what what he, he said, like, you know, the only thing she needs is like space and money or, you know, space and uh, time. Time, space and money. Exactly. These are the three things that artists need. Needs, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. In no particular order. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I find in my life, I can usually have two out of three. Yeah. Like, the, like, there was a time in my life when I was in the United Arab Emirates. I had money, I had space, mm -hmm. but I had no time. Uh-huh, I understand. <laughs> right now, I have time, I have space, mm -hmm. but I have no money. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I want better space... I can make time. I need money. Yeah. We all need money. <laughs> I've never, I've never heard a single artist go. You know what? I have plenty of money. But they exist. They do. I just don't know any of those people. <laughs> <laughs> those people don't like. They're not my friends. <laughs> yeah. So if we talk back about like um, being this Icelandic artist going to the state. And I was talking about that before. Uh, maybe I didn't finish the sentence or my point. That was like, I found it very interesting that the uh, American student, an art student, they had already made their opinion about the market. Like some like, I'm not going to be with gallery or like, you know what I mean? Like making the decision, I'm going to work, you know, alongside with my art career because they had this kind of a dilemma you know with the market with the commercial market in america in the gallery but here i mean i for the longest time we only had like one commercial gallery only had like maybe 10 artists you know so i never thought about it until i like came to state you know like ah and you know and then i also said so so many different kind of gallery and different kind of contemporary art, you know, and I found like, you know, in Iceland, I feel like I have been brought up with the idea of contemporary art as a phenomenon. Even though we make object, it is phenomenon, you know, versus in state, it's often in object based or material based. Yes. Uh, not as in a phenomenon, you know, uh, not as much, you know what I mean? It's, um, but here I felt, you know, my upbringing here around in the bachelor uh, time, 
very influenced by phenomena, you know, terms like, yeah. Do you understand? Do you I understand that? Think so. Yeah. I mean, it's the that whole the 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 issue of the art market. Yeah, is such a problem. Mm -hmm. Like I. I know that money makes the world go round. I know that money makes the art world go round, but I kind of wish that it didn't. But for example, here in Iceland, we are trying to build up this kind of market by inviting people with the money, with a with the possibility to invest in contemporary art. We are we are very much like, you know, uh, inviting them, you know, and and asking them to to come, but. But not that, you know, but I, 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 you know, if you talk about like the system, you know, of the art world, it's very important that the state, you know, the grant don't fade away with it, you know, because that is what happened in the state, you know, in America. It, 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 That's the hard thing. Yeah, it's like, cause it, like, it faded away. Right so, now you will have this, what I see from an outsider's perspective is very strong governmental support for the arts mm -hmm. whether it's murals sculpture projects you know museums and institutions as well as your artist salaries you all have all these great things if a quote-unquote like art market ends up sort of becoming prominent here mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff's going to go away because they're going to go well why can't you just sell your work in the market mm-hmm mm -hmm. So like, this is so twisted because uh -huh. a lot of opinion of people in general public, you know, they often like when you see like comment on the internet, you know, like when it comes into news, you know, who got the artist salary, often it comes a comment like, why do they need salary? If the art is so good, why the you know, don't sell it, you know. So often people, even in Iceland, they are like referring good art to good selling. You know what I mean? As an American, that sounds correct, yes. Yeah, yeah, but we are, we have that here too. And, and I find it so um, interesting, you know, just to think about it. I mean, also, if you think about Iceland, you know, we are so uh, young, you know, uh, culture, you know, we are so young country, you know. Nine, in the 1900s, you know, we were still living in uh, 12 houses. You know, um, in the 1940s, we were publishing our first art story, you know, book. And then in, in 2010, we did the second, you know what I mean? It's like, we're like a teenager when it comes into understanding culture value. So it is very interesting, you know, it's very interesting, like, where does this come from? You know, the equalness to value contemporary art towards, you know, the, the selling. Well, that's the globalization of okay. the arts world. Okay, that's, okay. What, that's what that is. Like, because pre-social media, pre-even pre-internet, let's say, there was much more sort of separate, like different styles of the arts industry occurring in different places. But now everybody is exposed to New York and Art Basel and all the other things. And so like everybody is looking to that as the quote unquote sort of like highest of whatever kind of thing. And so like, yeah, it's it, in many ways, I find that globalization unfortunate. Yeah. And uh, not a bad then uh, 
the artillery here, it is the same as the unemployed benefit. So, so Wait, but can you get both? Can you get both an artillery <laughs> and an unemployment benefit? No. <laughs> a little double dip? No. Yeah. No. Okay. So, because you talk about grant and stuff like that, I mean, we have a grant, we have artillery. But I think, you know, it's like, it's very competitive. Uh, it's very hard to get it. it. That means, you know, it it is much more of active artists working and grant available for people to survive. And that creates a lot of conflict within colleagues, you know. Well, I mean, it's an unfortunate... It, I love the idea of the artist's salary. I hate the idea that it, it creates conflict. Exactly. And, and it creates competition. Yeah. Even, in between you know like yeah. oh this exhibition is not as much as this exhibition or you know yeah you know it's like people are like putting a value uh into each other project you know but but if you know the state but it's like by not putting enough money i mean then i'm talking about like at least maybe 50 percent of the application you know would get yes that will you know less the conflict a lot because now it is maybe 10 15 20 you know so it, so it becomes like Wait, an, that's it only like yeah, 10 yeah, 15 yeah. or 20 people no no year. percent you know percent you oh, know percent okay i was like fuck yeah, that's yeah, not yeah, a lot yeah. <laughs> no no it's it's so low you know it's so low percent of of artists applying to it that i know so many fucking great artists that don't get it. You know what I mean? I have a lot of projects and I don't get it. You know, it's like... Well, well, I, I don't know much about mm -hmm. this artist's salary other than just like mm -hmm. stories people have told me. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why they don't just put more money into exactly. it. Exactly. Well, the reason why I say that, mm -hmm. though, is because I'm also aware that mm -hmm. Iceland has done an entire ad campaign. Exactly. Trying to draw exactly. creative people to exactly. Iceland. I mean, they could have taken the money for that yeah. and put it into artist salaries. Yeah. And if there, then there was better art here, it would have drawn just as many people yeah. as a marketing and campaign. And if, if, if I would just have maybe... I'm uh, so sorry. Uh, no, it's, it's, no, I'm sorry because they are funding this podcast. Exactly. So I apologize for the critical yeah, yeah, remarks. Yeah. No, it's like if... For example, I often thought about it like if the government would put maybe a funding that you could apply for just to do a PR or something. Because when I'm working towards exhibition and often I'm doing it, you know, by myself, I don't have a museum or gallery or something in backup. You know, often it is like self-created, you know, uh, situation, you know, often. And then you don't have the energy. And, and even if I am, you know, exhibiting in a gallery, I don't have the energy and also I don't have the ego the two weeks before the opening to social media. I mean, I do my best with Instagram, but I don't have the ego to send newsletter or, I, you know, I do it, but I, I would do it much better and I would be able to archive it. And there. OK, yeah. wait, we, we, we've got an, a, a way to make this better. The instead of creating more artist grant necessarily like mm -hmm. directly funding arts mm -hmm. what if the icelandic government mm -hmm. offered their pr firms mm -hmm. to do public relations mm -hmm. for artists i'm so vulnerable and i'm so sincere and i'm just so fragile you know in the process of uh, of working towards it i don't oh, it's a horrible experience to have to do social media because like mm -hmm. 
we need to be vulnerable and we need to be earnest and sincere. But like when we don't get any response, it's it's crushing. Yeah, even if I would just get the grant to pay a project manager to work on this, you know, along with me, knowing everything I'm going through and knowing everything about the piece or the project and be able to access my mailing list and sending it on my behalf. I love the idea because, I mean, because part of the nature of like, okay, great, the, the government is investing money in the in the arts people and their projects but why not but they if they instead of giving more quote-unquote like salary to you which of course i understand is like some people hate and they don't they don't think it's a good use of government funds and all that kind of stuff do public relations for these projects like that because that would elevate everything yeah and also in iceland we have so many in terms of you know how many we are here very cool like art festivals various yeah, ones you do. and then everyone who are like producing this festival are not you know it's voluntary work artists get paid very little you know i was participating in one um some years ago i got maybe like uh, 30,000 Iceland kroners maybe i don't know 250 dollars to make a video you know and it was so cool it was in the middle of covid and we it, they were streaming it you know and we were sailing in a boat around and doing all this cool stuff but you know if if they had a little funding but if we would have a little bit more and be able to pay someone to you know, put the streaming all over because they they were all like artists, you know, running this festival. And, you know, so, you know what I mean? It's just like... Because uh, like I've seen these, this ad campaign that was created by Iceland mm-hmm. and it makes Iceland look stunning and romantic and beautiful. And I mean, it, it's gorgeous. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a good campaign, but it didn't, it didn't seem to involve any local artists. Mm-hmm. It, it seemed to say this is our stunning, beautiful landscape nature. and nature and all these kinds of things, and that other people should come and 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 see it and and be inspired by it. But I think if they turned around and said, "These are our, our artists who are making things based on all of these things," also, exactly. like, don't get me wrong, I don't mean like completely flip the whole thing around, but I'm saying just like be a little bit more inclusive and actually like promote the the working artists that are here. That would be amazing like i would love to have a pr person like for my art i mean even for six months or a year like amazing because like that's to me that's one of the biggest problems i have with the contemporary art world which is that you know like when i was young when i was in school the thought was in america i should stress this again but like the thought was you get a gallery the gallery does all the public relations stuff for you and so the artist doesn't do any of that now all that responsibility has fallen back to the artist is literally our job. Like I had a conversation earlier about the fact that like when you, when, when you apply for a grant or a residency, mm-hmm. they're going to look at your Instagram. Mm-hmm. That is so sad to me because like, I don't, I don't like Instagram. Like, but also like for me, <laughs> it takes me like three to four months to make one piece of art. And that's not the speed of Instagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. if I'm not making a piece every week or every three days, mm-hmm. I'm not keeping up with Instagram. Yeah. So like that that whole structure, like to me, doesn't work. Yeah. 
Exactly. I have no idea where I was going with that, but I feel better having been on my soapbox for a moment there. Yeah. <laughs> All the numbers shows that, you know, the more you put into creativity, it comes like triple back into the box, you know, into the society. So there are no lost money, you know what I mean? It's just the, but the mentality needs to change, you know? And I mean, we are trying to make this same thing, you know, like with the tax money, you know, like in the state, you know, if you you pay this X amount of money into tax and you can choose if you put it into donation or support some institution or like, you know, or you buy some art or, you know, we are trying to make this, you know, happening here as well. So people would be more like keen putting into, you know, art spaces or buying art and they get, uh, you know, they can use their, what their part of their, what they pay to tax, taxes, yeah, um, you know. Tax write-off is exactly. what we would call in the U.S., yeah. Yeah, we, you have that in, in the U.S.A. But then, you know, I see often, but you still have, you still have some foundation there, like, Warhol, you know, uh, you know, or so, you know, you have something there, you know, and some of the grants are also just, you know, so there are some stuff there, right? The, the problem with the granting systems in the United States mm -hmm. is the same thing as my problem with the United States, which okay. is the the loss of the middle class. Mm. So like. Young artists, emerging artists, uh, you know, low-level artists. They there's lots of funding for that. You know, five hundred dollars, seven hundred fifty dollars, tons of those grants. Okay. There are tons of the one million dollar grants, mm -hmm. the ten million dollar grants, all the big grants. Mm -hmm. The problem is there's very little in the middle. Okay. So, lots of rich, powerful, influential stuff that'll you know support an artist for decades. Mm -hmm. And then there's lots of like little tiny things that just sort of are not enough to actually make a difference. I understand. And there's very little in the middle. And that, and that is a problem. But I mean, that's just, you know, the loss of the middle class in America as well. Yeah. You know, rich getting richer, poor getting poorer. Yeah. Same things with artist grants. There, mm -hmm. there are rich artist grants and there are poor artist grants, but there's not enough mm -hmm. of the middle ones. Yeah. And then there was uh, also like, Talking about that, like with the education, because it's it's very expensive to study a master in, in visual art, and then you're putting all your money into your education, and then you come out and you own a lot of student loan, and then you need to go and pay it, and then you can't really pay it off with your art, you know, income because there are no income, and then it is like. And then the galleries and museums don't make this kind of critique of, you know, you need to have uh, education. So you're just like flipping the coin, you know, should I try just to survive as an artist and get in there? Or should I educate myself and try to, you know, pay off my student loan with, with salary coming from somewhere else and, and where I educated myself? This is a problem. Because then we're just going to get one type of artist, you know, educating themselves. It's just a upper class student, you know, with a good, you know, uh, support system. As I'm sitting here yeah. as a white American male, having gotten a good education. So and like, then, I'm an example of but that, yes. But then the, the dilemma of it is also the education creates value. So my point is that we need the education because then we create a value to our field. Correct. So 
I am support. I I I don't want people to not think of going to educate themselves in art because I think it's very important mm-hmm. to higher the value to the field in general. You know, uh, but. And, but like, for example, if I just talk from Icelandic point of view, my point is that the government is in response because the government, they accept this school to be, you know, um, uh, capable to educate, you know, artists and choose the the the, uh, the creative, you know, student to to be accepted. And it's very hard to get in. Mm-hmm. And then they accept you also to take a, a lot of loan to pay these expensive studies. And then you come out of it and you need to pay it, but they have a responsibility. I see myself also as an uh, employed by the uh, the government. You know, I am creating a culture value for the generation to come. So what I would like to see the government to take a responsibility and supporting the artists coming from higher education for some, you know, years, a support, you know, like a salary, you know, I would I would just, you know, demand the government to pay me for do my art that I've been educating, my, uh, educating myself and taking loan for, you know, to pay off my student loan just for the first, you know, five or 10 years while you are, you know, fighting yourself up the ladder in this, you know, very complex, you know, field. That I think should be, you know, way to do it, you know. So also for maintain the the differences, you know, to, you know, we want to educate, you know, all kinds of artists, you know, coming from all kinds of backgrounds. You know what I mean? We, We don't want to have our artists just the same species, you know, or same, you know, the same, you know. Homogenized. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it should be, like, like the government should think about, like, how they want to see the artist in 50 years, 100 years. And then with this kind of development, we are wiping out, you know, so many creative, you know, minds. But you're making a huge leap of assumption Mm -hmm. that the government gives a shit. (laughs) Or they don't take a responsibility. You know. Tomato, tomato. (laughs) It's like, you know, I I mean, I, you know, we are like educating ourselves like as much as, you know, a doctor or, you know, and... But do they support doctors? Uh, they give them a job in a hospital. Okay, but then yeah, okay. If that kind of thing exists for other professions here, this would be just ultimately applied by the government because we are working for the government. It would be amazing if there was because like in America there is a thing that uh, if you go in as a okay maybe it's any any form of a, a education if you get an education and then you go work for a nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm for i think 10 straight years full time mm-hmm. that um your student loan is wiped out uh, so can we make this kind of um, organization like art studio like complexity of organization that just creates art you know like a as long as it's like a legal non-profit exactly 
Yes. Then you could go through the system. Yeah, but it's it, it. There are certain things that have to criteria have to meet it. But like, I have a friend who like worked at a nonprofit museum, and okay. and he will he he hasn't gotten there yet, but he will get his his student loan wiped out after he meets all the criteria. So I mean, these kinds of things do exist. The idea of like go get educated, and then if you put the time and energy into that industry. Mm-hmm that your student loan can be taken away basically or wiped out kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It does exist, but like at least in America, they make it so difficult to Mm -hmm. achieve those goals. Like, like I had the, the stupidity because I didn't even know about this Mm -hmm. opportunity. I worked for a nonprofit for nine years full time. (laughs) And the year after Uh. I quit, Oh, Somebody no. said, oh, you know, if you would work for a nonprofit for 10 years, you can have your student. I'm like, God, fucking damn. One more year. <laughs> if I just put in one more year. Could you not just hire yourself it. again? No, because they make you start again. So it has to oh be 10 God. consecutive years. This this would be taught in the school. It should have been. <laughs> it really should have been. Like, how can you fight the system? Uh, God, are you kidding? When I, when we were, I remember one night in, in grad school, we actually sat down and and said, okay, what country can we move to that will not track our social security number so they can't track us down to make us repay our student loans? Okay, okay. We came up with Panama was the, the best country that was like reasonably first world country. You but, were so but yet right. That the, the, they wouldn't track us. So basically we would never have to pay our student loans back. But of course we could never come back in the United States. But, you know, we actually put thought and effort into like, how could we skip out on our student loans? Yeah, we had a big scandal about the Panama, you know, Icelandic roots people were like hiding their money there. Yeah, and that's where we wanted to go. That's what we had come up with. Yeah. Yeah. So not so far out. No, not new. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Before you go, we would like to thank you for listening all the way to the end of the conversation. We would also appreciate it if you would share the podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, or studio mates anybody with an interest in the arts and creative industries. The building and strengthening of the arts and creative community both today and for the future is at the core of our mission for this podcast. They can listen and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014. The audio was edited by Cush Audio Services, and the music was created by Pete Bybee. The Wise Fool Arts Podcast is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunst Centrene in Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website, wisefoolpod.com.